Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, episode 1.13, Holiday Special. I'm Kelsey, joining me is my spouse Allie Mae, and there's always a little bit of truth in legends. One quick bit of podcast business. This is the last episode of the narrative hiatus. We are as thrilled as you are to get back into the narrative of Knights of the Old Republic 2, and we will do that next week. Before that, though, we wanted to take one dive into the weird and esoteric of Star Wars and talk about the extremely infamous Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, Luke is unable to join us for this episode, but feel free to tweet at him about the Star Wars Holiday Special. I am sure he would appreciate it. So, the special is one of the strangest things to come out of Star Wars. Um... We are somewhat fortunate in our very internet age to be able to have access to not just the special, but many versions of the special um, at all times. It used to be a thing that was rumored about being so bad. It is not one that has, um, as far as I can tell, an a, a official release other than its initial broadcast. Um, and that's for good reason. It's... I think it's deeply strange that there are um, some differences of opinion on this matter. <laughs> I I think that the Star Wars holiday special, um, it definitely has its problems. It's definitely drags in some points. It definitely um, is unusual and even a bit uncomfortable at different points. But I think it's underrated and I think that um, more people should watch it because if, if nothing else, it's a good laugh. And it's canonical. <laughs> So sure, let's touch upon the uh, canonical nature of that um, right now. And one of the things um, in the holiday special, the holiday special is centered around Life Day, which is, as far as we can tell, Wookiee Christmas that isn't Christmas. Um, and the arc of the holiday special, which itself is a, like, a uh, variety show that took a big two-hour slot um, in December 78, I want to say. Um, but it's a strange thing, and the whole arc of it is that Chewie's family, Chewbacca's family, is waiting for him to get home so they can celebrate Life Day. Um, and what has made this the most canonical it has been... So far is that in the opening act of the first episode of The Mandalorian, the uh, dude being arrested by the Mandalorian, who's being captured by him, talks about wanting to get home in time for Life Day. Which makes the whole special canonical. It Chewie is... has walked out on his family. <laughs> well, then that's the thing. Is if, if that is canonical then so much else about the holiday special which is again profoundly strange um 
could be canonical and it's hard to say exactly it's not something that uh lucas has ever um stood behind and it's not something that disney uh seems likely to do more than make uh winking references to though life day is pretty explicit but it's not the only one um i think the mandalorian actually is probably the piece of star wars media most connected to and faithful to the holiday special that is presently canon and one of the things we see in um this holiday special is there is a anime cartoon probably the best part of the special it's definitely engaging i would say there are some highlights to the special but i will concede that that's one of them (laughs) um one of the parts of that involves boba fett um meeting up with Luke and Han and Chewbacca, and he has that long rifle with the uh, kind of two hooks on the end that the Mandalorian uses. Um, And so that feels very much also like borrowed from um, that this was source material that they decided to pull into the Mandalorian, which is certainly a choice. Um, But before we get into talking more about the arc of the thing, did you want to... Uh, say a little about how you were introduced to the holiday yeah. special. My older brother, uh, what, at one point, decided to show us at Christmas time. He had a bootleg copy of some sort, um, and yes, it's it's become kind of a little bit of a holiday tradition. We don't watch it every every year, but it definitely many Christmases we've watched it, um, both without the riff tracks um, and with riff tracks, which can make it um, a little more interesting to watch but i don't know if i agree with all the commentary that they make um but it at least provides more dialogue in those uh was it seven and a half minutes of no uh english words it was all in wookie um which you know for the first minute or so was adorable and then after that it kind of drags a little bit yeah so there's um yeah so so the rift tracks was one of the more accessible ways for people to get it to because it was a um a transformative work and therefore you're allowed to sell it um which is a total copyright thing to it but it is one of the ways that it made it available back in the era when uh the way people primarily consumed the media was buying dvds um and that made it broader though the um the the apocryphal somewhat apocryphal the legend of it is that it was it broadcasted just enough Time where people could record on VCR, and a lot of people did, which is how there have been copies circulating um, for basically ever. Um, the version we rewatched last night even included the commercials from the 70s, which was also fascinating to watch. Yeah, as a historical artifact, right? As the Star Wars Holiday Special, to me, especially with the commercials in, um, is primarily interesting as an artifact about the late 70s. Um, like, the style of the animation feels alien. The whole tone and tenor of the advertising is weird. The stars and the kind of humor you would do in a variety show feels of an era that Star Wars um, certainly was part of, but then moved beyond. Um, and that version is available on YouTube. Um, there's multiple versions available on YouTube. Some of them, the one we found with commercials has had really low picture quality. Um, so maybe it has the feel of watching it on a very bad early color television. Who knows? <laughs> um, 
But yes, the Wookiees. So that's that's the thing. There are eight minutes and fifty seconds. Wow. Of Wookiees. The it opens it opens promising. There is Han Solo and Chewbacca in a cockpit. Um of the Millennium Falcon, and they're being pursued by two Star Destroyers, and it's definitely not footage reused from A New Hope or anything. But they talk <laughs> about getting home to life day. Um, and that's really compelling. And then it does the, like, here's the whole intro and all the characters. And then for eight and a half straight minutes, it is Wookiees talking in Wookiee without subtitles. Yeah, you kind of get the context, though, because... It's a classic kind of nuclear family situation where you have Chewbacca's dad who's living with Chewbacca's wife and son. And um, so the dad's name was Itchy and then the wife's name was Mala and the son's name was Lumpy. And so you kind of see a lot of the classic tropes of a, you know, nuclear family kind of playing out. You have, you know, Mala in the kitchen, you know, doing that whole thing. You have Lumpy causing a little bit of trouble. And then you have Itchy being kind of like this old curmudgeonly uh, man of something like, you know, making all these groaning sounds. Uh, so I think it was... Um, almost boring to watch that part because it's like okay we get what this like you know stereotypical family is within like the first minute and it goes on for again eight and a half minutes until there's another person and there's uh until they talk to a character in language that can be understood um but it takes so then they, they call up luke who is working with r2d2 to repair his x-wing um, and they have a conversation. But again, half of that conversation is in Wookiee. Um, more than half of that, because there's lots of them. And there's no in. subtitles, if, if you were wondering. There, none. Like, if there were subtitles, I would not be complaining about the Wookiee at all. Right, it would be an unusual choice, yeah. but it would be at least one where, like... It's astounding that this was how they aired it, right? Star Wars is wildly popular, and the thing they decided to anchor it on is a family whose whole bit is they can't be un is they can be understood by people but not by the audience mm -hmm. um and so it takes uh yeah so they talk with luke for a few minutes and then it's 12 minutes into this holiday special until two humans talk to each other um which is just a it's a deeply strange way to launch the universe I will say the establishing shot of their house in Kashyyyk is really good. It shows the alien, or not, they're all alien worlds, but it shows um, what Wookiee life is like. And it's been something that's been borrowed on a lot. The whole, the massive trees with houses built sort of into and around them. Really good setting. Um, that was worth doing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... What was I going to say? I had a lot of notes. Oh, in the beginning part, there's a little part that's scary where uh, Lumpy is, like, walking on the ledge of that, but then they don't do anything with it. It's just, like, one moment where he's walking on this, like, high ledge um, on this treehouse, and then that's it. It's like nothing bad happens. He doesn't get scolded. It's just like, oh, this kid walks on this thing. Well, that's the Chekhov's gun for when Han Solo punches a stormtrooper off of it later. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, spoilers. Spoilers throughout. <laughs> this is obviously a spoiler-rich podcast. But uh, at the end of it, Han Solo and Chewbacca arrive, and we'll get to that. 
Um, so there's a bit where they like have screens on walls that they talk to. Mm-hmm. And then they have lots of like devices and enter different, uh, I guess, immersive activities where they are watching something that seems like real life to them or is at least engaging to them. Yeah, it anticipates sort of the like virtual reality headsets, um, though it's less moving around in virtual space and more just sort of wearing a weird hat with goggles that brings you into an immersive environment and uh itchy watches a really long uh disco number oh there's a circus i forgot about the circus oh, yeah there's a part early on where lumpy turns on his uh like they have some new device and it just viewing is a device like or... some viewing device it's yeah. what if instead of the game of chess with aliens that they play in the Millennium Falcon, you instead could watch a goofy circus performance. Again, none of this is, there's no dialogue here. It's just, here you are, you're seeing Wookiees, and now you're seeing Wookiees watch a circus. Yeah, with like bright colors, but not really a lot of action. Just uh, normal stuff. And then, um, I don't know if we're trying to go in order yeah. or not, but... Uh, I was going to say later there's another device that Lumpy uses um, that involves a very seductive character who, like, it's almost like a, a phone sex operator were to be videotaped in a Star Wars universe, um, but it doesn't seem like they respond to anything that Itchy's doing. It's just, um, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's like the... <laughs> A non-zero part of the holiday special is spent watching Chewbacca's dad watch a human be sexy. Yeah. Um, and like 70 sexy, but it's like weird. Mm-hmm. It definitely is trying to like make that sex appeal thing. At one point she says, I exist for you, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, and... Uh, and there's a trader who is a uh, around a lot. He seems to be an ally um, to the rebellion, and um, all, but also has credentials to be able to like make it good with the um, imperial forces whenever they arrive. Um, and he like says it's got the wow if you know what I mean, which you know, I think I knew what he meant. Yeah, and so the Empire, so he, we see a bit where he's in his store and talking, and then he just goes to visit the Wookiees. And then while he's visiting the Wookiees, the Empire shows up. They are <laughs> looking for, um, they're looking for Chewbacca, but he's not there yet. So they just decide to, like, search the house and ransack it. But also, at one point, um, this trade guy just has a box with Jefferson's starship in it and they mm-hmm. play a song for a imperial officer who's wearing one of those like death star operator hats without the mask on it like the big black uh Weird. flared out shiny hats and he just watches a Jefferson starship song because again yeah. the 70s yeah and uh he these 
Imperial officer also comes into the store at one point and is trying to, uh, you know, kind of talk to the shopkeeper. He says he's off, you know, duty, but obviously the shopkeeper is very wary and stuff. And uh, Mala calls to say, like, she's about to say, hey, where's Chewie? Like, you know, but he ends up, like, cutting her off. And um, the shopkeeper says, like... Uh, basically, like, I heard you're looking for that shaggy carpet and, like, is trying to talk in, like, over, overdone code that any, like, if the Imperial officer knew that Han Solo was the, one of the humans they were looking for, saying he, she did it by hand, solo, it's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, <laughs> really, yeah. um, over the top kind of code kind of stuff, uh, that, yeah, the OPSEC was not good. It's so... <laughs> Goofy. It was really over the top. Um. Yeah, and then there's um a part where one of the Imperial officers mentions that there are 17 volumes to the Imperial Penal Code, which I thought was was funny and interesting in the era. Um, kind of like how if you listened to the uh, Splinter of the Minds episode, Minds uh, Splinter of the Minds Eye episode, we talk about um. How in that one they extrapolate on, like, well, here are the documents that the universe has and, like, the Imperial Charter and all that, which is an assumption they make in, like, this narrow era of Star Wars. And they don't really go back to, like, well, the Imperial Penal Code is a thing we need to care about. And it's just like, no, the Empire does stuff. And you can assume there are rules, but it's more that the Empire has power. Um, Yeah, so... I... Yeah, after the Jefferson Starship in the box and the code and all that, they, we get to the cartoon, um, which we mentioned, which is, uh, it's a very strange style of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all very in media res. There's Chewbacca with a mystic talisman. There's Han Solo. There's Luke and C-3PO and R2-D2 go to um, rescue... Then Boba Fett shows up, and then he's a friend, and then he's an enemy. Mm-hmm. He, he has a personal... Uh, personally calls Darth Vader, and they have multiple conversations. Um, it's really interesting. It's, like, got good animation. It feels, though, like, a lot of it feels um, like the kind of world-building you would see in, like, heavy metal or in, like, Mobius comics... Or anything of that era where they're trying to do sort of generic Space Ranger stuff. It almost looks like knockoff Star Wars fan art that just happened to be canonical. Mm-hmm. Or at least, if not canonical, yeah. set in the universe and introducing characters who became canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, they're watching this, so Lumpy is uh, you know, acting up like a child when there's Imperial forces in his own home. And uh, that's how, like, Mala keeps him quiet, is having him watch this thing that his dad stars in and is in peril. And so uh, that ends up becoming a challenge, too. It's so... It's so deeply weird. Um, Because they, like, they maintain this whole narrative conceit throughout that everything is really happening in relation to Chewbacca's family, which... To the best of my knowledge, and feel free to tweet or email us if you know otherwise, that none of the family is, especially not 
uh, Mala, Itchy, or Lumpy are ever directly referenced or referenced in any way at all again. Though I think they should get their own movie. I would love to see a Star Wars movie that's like Mala and Chewie's love story, right? Because maybe something happens to her or, you know, their family or something, and that's why we don't see her in episodes five through nine. Um, uh, Or before then, but... You know, in Solo, like, we see Chewie's backstory, right? Like, he was enslaved and had to basically kill people to survive. Um, and it's, it was a very dire situation. Like, where was Itchy when Chewie was like that, you know? Um, I have a lot of questions about Chewbacca's family. Now that we know this is canonical because of the Life Day thing and because this is a conversation we have in our house quite a bit. Um, but uh, the, the Life Day uh, thing and the Boa Fett thing, uh, then, you know, I think it would be really cool to flush that out um, if for nothing else is like a cult classic op, spin-off-y kind of thing, if that makes sense. There's certainly room to explore, and we haven't, the video games... Um, as you as you know from listening, the uh, f- the Knights of the Old Republic have explored um, Kashyyyk a bit, and we've seen it in other settings. Um, there's a battle at the end of, towards the end of Revenge of the Sith on Kashyyyk. That's where uh, Yoda is when Order sixty six goes down, and the Wookiees choose not to turn on him, unlike the clone troopers who do. Um, but we don't really see anything which is like, um, especially not in cinematic canon or um, which is like, here's what the life is. And if I am missing something that happened in Rebels or Resistance, uh, that is on me because I haven't seen those yet. I'm working my way through them. But um, there's certainly room to explore stories and what that life is like. I remain skeptical that uh, Disney would choose these to be the characters to bring back for it. But who knows? <laughs> I have been uh, deeply skeptical of lots of choices Disney has made. That's true. Can we talk about Mala for a bit? Sure. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, so you see her doing like a cooking show. Like It's almost like she's watching Julia Childs, but Julia Childs is this Bantha, is that how you say that? She's preparing Bantha. Oh, she's preparing Bantha. That's right. And but it's this like four-armed creature yeah. of some sort. I don't know what um, that creature is named. Uh, but the it's Chef Gormanda. Yeah. And basically, it's uh, got this almost aerobic kind of sense to it because that she has to use four hands basically in order to prepare this dish with a whip whipster dance uh that was pretty ridiculous (laughs) and I remember the first time I watched this like you know years and years ago before Kelsey and I were even dating um I remember that was when it like really felt weird to me like the it felt boring before that to me a little bit, but then when that happened, I was like, this is a deeply unusual special, and they made some interesting choices. And it's one of the more fascinating aspects of the holiday special, is they treat the Star Wars universe as one where television entertainment is as ubiquitous as it was in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like with the 
even when it's like watching the weird um the weird circus thing or the weird Jefferson Starship or the weird uh seductive lady song it's all like these are broadcaster programs or things you plug into that are like entertainment as a culture is out there and there's really hardly any of star wars in cinematic canon deals with what people do when they aren't fighting a war like we have the opera scene in Revenge of the Sith, and I struggle to think of anything else except the firework celebration at the end of um, Return of the Jedi. There's just not a lot about like people communicating other than traveling to spaces and um, being in person. Or when they communicate, they communicate by a hologram broadcast. Mm-hmm. And we see that, but there's no hologram in this. It's all... Like video. It's all video. It's like telescreen kind of thing. Yeah. And you would think if they had that technology, and by episode five, right, which happens, uh, this canonically happens between episodes four and five, right? Yes. If we're calling it canon. It certainly is set um. there anyway. <laughs> and, uh, but you don't see that kind of technology after, do you? Like any sort of telescreen? I, there is one moment of it in Empire Strikes Back when it's, Darth Vader is talking to a different admiral in the Star Destroyer fleet, and then he force chokes him through the screen. But it's not, that's one screen in right. one place, and it's in and the And that's the Imperial technique. Forces, it's not right. the Rebels. Right, yeah. we don't really see screens like this in any. Yeah, but it allowed them to have a nice Jefferson Starship kind of thing, and a you know, the, all these weird tech devices that they had. And it allowed, <laughs> like, lump, a Lumpy to watch cartoons. Yeah, and allowed Lumpy to save the day, too, when he, uh, you know, was, like, sending that broadcast to try to get the stormtroopers out of the house. That is true. There is yeah. a good... Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> there is a moment where Lumpy works with his, like, Something between a computer and an electronics kit and rewires it to send a um, alert to the stormtroopers who are currently sitting in the house of a known rebel waiting to arrest him when he comes home. And he gets all of but one of them to leave. Yeah. And it's hard to know how old Lumpy is. That's another complaint I have. or Or maybe confusion or something that... Could be explored by another movie or TV show or something. Um, but in some ways, he acts like a toddler and like a young child. And he's like a quarter of the size, maybe, of Mala and Chewie. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, he's also smart enough to be able to, you know, um, distract. Like, he's a hero of the rebellion because he prevented um, Chewbacca from getting arrested or worse, you know? So um, I'd like to see more from Lumpy in the future. That that could be a cool thing if he comes back and um, does something with Chewie related to, you know, whenever they do episodes 10 through 12 or whatever. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's when we get to old Lumpy. Old Lumpy. <laughs> that's the, that's the, the new hottest trend after Baby Yoda is old Lumpy. Lumpy. <laughs> um, so there's also, because of this weird television-heavy version of the Star Wars universe where there's, like, broadcasts, we get a, like, meanwhile on Tatooine or, like, a news alert from Tatooine that is broadcast to them, 
where it is uh, B. Arthur bartending at not Moss Eisley Cantina with uh, not almost all the same patrons. And uh, the same species of woodwind playing characters. Yes, um, the, uh, the musicians who perform jizz. Yeah, they call it jizz and, and not jazz, but, you know, I, it's, it's... Good lord, why? Um, <laughs> I, it's very weird, but they have this cantina scene, um, and half of it is this deeply strange dude who's who has... It looks like a volcano on the top of his head. Oh. And he shows up with a rose for B. Arthur, and he is just very creepy, deeply misunderstood. Uh, a bartender being nice mm-hmm. is what he did. Not that he is under. He is clearly. It's clear to see what he is doing. His actions are mm-hmm. uh, straightforward and transparent, but deeply weird dude um, who's just trying very hard to hit on his bartender. And then he pours, like, blue milk into the hole on his head. Mm-hmm. That's how he drinks his through his volcano hole. And then he's just very sad. And then that occupies, like, half the scene. And the other part is there's a... The, the Empire announces it is closing all of the bars on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Just all of the bars on Tatooine. And so B. Arthur then uh, leads a song about... Uh, last call and then trying to get everyone out of her bar because it is now illegal to have one (laughs) yeah um before they aired that little segment which um the imperial people were what they were still all in the house um, when that happened um it said quote this transmission is unrehearsed and unedited and is hereby begun without further comment as to its lack of moral value which i think is something that they could have put for the entire holiday special right it felt like pretty unedited and um pretty uh no comment to its lack of moral value at certain points um and yeah, it just kind of felt like something people threw together and not necessarily something that was planned. But that being said, I still think it's canonical. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hill I'll die yeah. on. <laughs> and so, also in that bar, I just wanted to, there's a bunch of weird alien, or weird, weird creatures and beings. But one of them is just straight up a gigantic mouse. It is. Oh, yeah. Like a cow-sized mouse, but a bar patron. Um, I It's very, like, and maybe they're just throwing together costumes to see what they can and what fits. Um, it was kind of the opposite problem of the cat's mice, right? Where the cat's mice were small and <laughs> from the, the new cat's uh, movie. Yes, yes, a uh, shout-out to uh, Cats 2019 by director Tom <laughs> Hooper, Hopper, um, where <laughs> there are mice with uh, children's faces on them. Yeah, and um, small it was the opposite weird. problem. It was like huge. It was like three times at least the size of B. Arthur. And no, no human face. It's very, very yeah. clear mouse face. And that's just like in there. And if you've made it to the holiday special at the point where you see that, it's like, okay, I guess this could happen. Right, yeah, because so much of it is absurd that you just kind of accept anything it throws at you. Um, all the trippy imagery, like there's a lot of 70s kind of psychedelic-y um, animation kind of stuff. Yeah, 
It's deeply unusual. Um, and so the next thing... Um, so after that, Han Solo shows up at... Um, Han Solo and Chewbacca show up at Chewbacca's house. And they're in there in time for Life Day. Um, and the stormtrooper, the one stormtrooper left to guard... Uh, gets into a fist fight. There's no lasers fired. They are holding the weapons the whole time, but there are no lasers fired any time except in the cartoon where it's much easier to animate lasers than on film. Um, and uh, then the stormtrooper gets throws a punch or misses Han and falls off the edge of Kashyyyk to whatever is down below. Um, and with that, and assuming the Imperial unit is still distracted or busy or doesn't care about going back, for the guy who uh, clearly died, they proceed to have life day. Yeah, and uh, the well, the shopkeeper makes up that story, right, about him. Uh, the stormtrooper um, robbed me, silly or blind or whatever. Oh, yeah. Whatever he said that basically implied that um, the stormtrooper like took off and is a deserter. That's what it is, right? Cause, yeah. yeah. But they do check on him. They do check on him. And he's like, no, no, he didn't uh, plummet to his death. You cannot look down and see his mangled bodies in clear <laughs> white armor. He definitely uh, stole my stuff and ran away. Yeah. And Han Solo also makes a comment about Lumpy's voice changing, which I think further um, confuses like the whole how old is Lumpy question. Um, if anybody knows, please uh, tweet at us and, and or email the podcast because I'm, I'm very curious. <laughs> yeah um and is there anything else we want to talk about before getting to like the life day ceremony itself um no that was the next thing i wanted to talk about was the life day ceremony yeah so they hold light orbs and wear red robes mm-hmm. and they and princess leia is there so they're clearly on a different world or leia was able to get there it's <sighs> unclear <laughs> right um, and they just have this vague ceremony thing where they place the lights in one thing and they all like stand around and it's like it's like a kind of a darky cave environment more than like the well lit yeah. tree. But it's got high ceilings. Yeah, high ceiling, very high ceiling, mm-hmm. definitely that. Um, mm-hmm. Temple and chambery. <laughs> um, and it's just. It's it looks. There's one part point where they're like walking into a sun. It almost looks like right where they're when they're heading to the life day ceremony. They're all of a sudden wearing red robes when they were wearing their Wookiee not clothes before, and then like all of a sudden they're having this. Yeah, and then like and Princess Leia sings a song. Yeah, she sings. That was one of the better parts in the movie, in my opinion. And the song was like basically saying things about the day of peace and the day of joy. It's like that song probably could have been a Christmas song yeah, under different circumstances. It's like a very aggressively non-denominational Christmas song. Yes. Um, yes. And it's also to the tune of the Star Wars theme. <laughs> um, as... as it just sure put some words on that. Um, it's one of the strangest things, and then there really isn't closure other than that. It That's kind it. of just abruptly ends. Is there still a curfew? Are we still under martial law? We don't really know. What will happen? Like, does there's no any there's right to the extent that things happen, it's that Chewbacca got home, and then we know 
from all the rest of Star Wars is that Chewbacca spends the rest of his time fucking off in outer space away yeah. from there. But, like, maybe between every episode, you know, maybe he goes back and maybe he goes to, how do you say the planet's name? Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk. Okay, I wasn't quite sure. Um, but maybe he goes back, you know, in between. Maybe he and Han just, like, check up on that every once in a while, but we never see it because it's never germane to the plot. I don't know. I like to think that somewhere out there is Mala and Lumpy and Itchy just, you know, hanging out and having a good time. And, uh, you know, waiting for Chewbacca to come home. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then it... Uh, I don't remember if this is on the, the version itself or just the uh, weird broadcast version that we saw. Um, but it... Uh, it ends with Star Wars. You and your children loved it. <laughs> you and your children loved it. Um, and that's just—it's a profoundly strange uh, artifact, um, and. It is perhaps to Star Wars' credit that nothing like it has been attempted since. That the idea that Star Wars was such a weird phenomenon that why don't you cash in on everything before people move on was abandoned. Um, and instead, you let it kind of... Really, it reminded me a lot of um, like the kind of choices made in Splinter of the Mind's Eye where you're trying to cash in on something and you have no idea how long it's going to be successful or what will make it successful. And they just want to like throw another thing at it. Um, and that it was so weird and so uh, did not have the intended effects of getting people psyched for Star Wars. They were already psyched for Star Wars. Um, it's hard to, not to be. Right. And they just like buy all the toys and do all the things. And it was something uh, but it endures it's like well what a crass way to think about this uh, how how little thought went into it um but also how little budget went into all that little thought mm -hmm. it's yeah i don't know did you have anything else big you wanted to say about the holiday special um i there was one point where uh that chef uh let's see let's find her name <laughs> chef uh gun Gormanda, there was one point where she coughs right into her hands and uh, or sneezes right into her hands, and I think it's important to name that that's a public health problem um, today and uh, this day of COVID nineteen and uh, you know our uh, social distancing that we are doing <laughs> right now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I. Star Wars, with that in mind, Star Wars Holiday Special is very much a, like, week three of social distancing kind of watch, I think. Yeah. It's something to, when you have exhausted things that you know will bring you joy. Yeah, or it also could be a, like, sync up with your friends and watch the same version on speakerphone or something. Because I think it's uh, a lot more bearable when you have people to make jokes about it. That's how I got through it the first time was making jokes with my brother. And then uh, Kelsey, me and Kelsey's first Christmas together, I made him watch it. <laughs> he was so mad. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think with friends and with that kind of 
you know, uh, mystery science theater 3000 kind of attitude about it, um, then yeah, it's it can be an enjoyable experience. It's just a matter of who you watch it with and how you're watching it. Yeah, it's definitely, that's a good, really good recommendation is to do a like stream with friends or sync with yeah. friends or even just live tweet along with people and do a, a coordinated watch. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's it's almost unbelievable how it came to be. Um, or that it exists and that all the choices that made to create this weird artifact where, again, the first eight and a half minutes are just Wookiees. Yeah. Just Wookiees talking to <laughs> other Wookiees. Um, and once you've gotten through that, right, that's sort of the hurdle, then you can sit into something that is in a now uh, familiar and beloved universe, but is profoundly weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I think that public health note and my gender studies notes were the only uh, remaining things I had. All right. Yeah. Shall we call it? Yeah, let's call it. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to FOTOR on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at FOTORPOD or email us at FOTORPODCAST at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm at AthertonKD on Twitter. Allie May is at Allie Maybe on Twitter. Regular co-host Luke can be found at LukeIsAmazing on Twitter. Um, we'll be back next week to talk Knights of the Old Republic 2 and resume our narrative. If you want to dive back in and get caught up to where we were, that would be a good way to prepare for that. Um, and may the Force be with you and also with you